The Facing Project on IPR is supported in part by Sea Salt and Cinnamon, providing vegan baked goods to Muncie and beyond. Sea Salt and Cinnamon is proud to support The Facing Project on Indiana Public Radio. More information is at seasaltandcinnamon.com. Stories connect us. They build empathy and understanding across difference. Stories are the basic building blocks of community. If you are brave enough to share your story and have the empathy to listen. But when was the last time someone really listened to you or you listened to someone else? Each episode, we choose a theme and stories from our archives of thousands of stories collected using the Facing Projects model. Every story you hear was produced by two people who took the time to listen and share and collaborate on a monologue told from one of their lived experiences. People who listened instead of judged. What if we all sought to understand? This is The Facing Project. Hi, everyone. I'm Kelsey Timmerman. And I'm J.R. Jameson. We're the co-founders of The Facing Project. J.R., tell me what Madonna means to you. Well, Madonna means much to me because when I grew up as a young gay kid in Cowan, Indiana, I watched a little documentary called Truth or Dare that was about her blonde ambition tour. And besides Madonna being on stage and all of her glory dancing around in her fantastic outfits, she had these backup dancers who were just as flamboyant as she. And I realized, even as a young child, that these were gay people. And living in Cowan, Indiana, I'd never seen other gay people exist, or or even on screen, that I remember. So when you were in Cowan, which is a very, very rural area, what did you think being gay meant? I felt like it wasn't okay to be gay. What I had heard people say about gay people were not good things. People often made fun of people who identified as gay, and I got the sense that it was something you didn't want to be or shouldn't be, and that there was some shame around that. And so when I saw this documentary and saw these dancers own who they are, and there was no shame in that, it gave me a little bit of hope as a child that maybe someday I too could become Madonna's backup dancer. <laughs> and you did. <laughs> and I did. No, you I, didn't. No, no, I didn't. I chose a totally different career path. But what if I had decided to be a dancer? Perhaps I could have become Madonna's and, dancer. And so who did you watch the documentary with? I watched it with my mom. And I kind of watched her too. So as we watched the documentary together, I was trying to determine what does my mom think about this? And when she sees these dancers, how will she respond? And she really didn't respond at all. And so that too gave me hope as a child that, well, maybe this is an okay thing. And maybe this is something that if I am able at some point in my life to say, this is me and and I'm gay, I can have a happy, successful life and career. So in your mind then, you had never met anyone who was gay. Not that I can recall. And would your parents have known anyone who was gay? 
I don't think so. Or if they did, they didn't talk about it or no. I mean, likely, you know, the statistic, which you can go back and forth on that, is roughly 10% of the population identifies as LGBTQ. So when you are in a situation or in a room, if you look around, you can estimate if there are 10 people, probably one person out of that group identifies as LGBTQ. That's not always the case, right? But if you put that in the context of growing up in an area or our parents, they likely knew someone who identified as gay, but perhaps because of the times never had come out or accepted themselves. Yeah. So this is important because today's theme is seeing yourself reflected in the world. And we have two stories, one from a dreamer and one from a woman making change in her community from the wheelchair who saw that example in others and have been that example for others. So... Let's listen. Becoming limitless. No tengo limites. Josefina Flores's story, as told by Ana Gomez from The Facing Project at UCLA, performed by Melinda Messinio. You never know how people are going to react. After all, it's been a heated debate for years now, and people's stances are as split and distinct as the moon is from the sun. That's why it was easier for me to disregard it for most of my life. I mean, it wasn't tattooed on my forehead or written in fine print at the bottom of my name at school or anything. But it was and continues to be such a crucial and central part of my identity. In some ways, it's limited my options. But in other ways, it's made me limitless. How do you explain the process of immigrating to a country to a three-year-old child while overlooking the socio-political hostility and life-threatening danger inextricably linked to the act? You tell them you're going on a vacation. At least that's how my mother would answer the question some 17 years ago. So I compliantly assembled my toys and trinkets, unaware of how drastically my life was about to change. I was separated from my mom for the first time in my short life. I was restless, to say the least. While she had to contend with the forces of nature while crossing to the U.S. through the desert, I was safely strapped onto a car seat and gained entrance into the promised land through counterfeit documents presented to the immigration officer by documented strangers who had been hired to pose as my parents. The hot and humid California air must have lulled me to sleep, because when I woke up some eight hours later, my sight rested warmly once more upon the light in my mother's eyes. The beating of my heart began to stabilize to its more natural, padum, padum, padum. It's over, my infantile mind conceived. Little did I know that our journey was just beginning. We would soon call the unfurnished shack-like garage behind Tio Joaquin's residence our home and fill it with memories of joy and laughter as our family gathered around a wooden crate that served as the dining room table. Upon it, we ate a medley of canned food items and corner supermarket goods. But life was not always the color of our homegrown springtime roses. At times, it became as unbearable as the thought of being separated from my mother as an infant. Despite the turbulent tornadoes we faced as immigrants in the U.S., my mother's unwavering strength, as firm as the palm trees that aligned the streets of our barrio, became the force I drew upon time after time. My mom was my rock and my haven when my dad decided to leave our family and go back to Mexico. She was my light when I felt ostracized at school by people who couldn't pronounce my name. 
Josefina, I would pronounce ceaselessly. And most of all, she relentlessly offered the support I needed to apply to college. Though she was not familiar with the U.S. education system, let alone the college application process, my mom supported my educational endeavors. She filled my heart and mind with positive thoughts, so si se puede, and echale ganas. Her words were mountain springs among seas of drought. But my immigration status always hung over me like an invisible veil that prevented me from envisioning my future as a professional. All I could think about were the obstacles that stood in my way. So I decided to redirect my college-going aspirations towards motivating younger students to apply and attend college. After all, unlike me, they could attend college. One pleasant summer afternoon, I accompanied a group of middle school students to visit the University of California at Berkeley. As hard as I tried to remain objective, after all, I was there to accompany the students, not as a prospective student myself. I could not forbid my eyes from becoming mesmerized by the grandiose buildings adorning the campus and the flora that gave way to the oak woodlands. It was the first time I had set foot on a college campus, and my heart was won over. As the designated tour guide narrated entertaining anecdotes related to each landmark he pointed out, he ran across a familiar face. Sylvia. He greeted Sylvia and invited her to share a few words with the group. Sylvia talked about her undergraduate experience as a biomedical student, how much she loved the school, her career objectives. To my dismay, Sylvia ended her spiel by stating that, as an undocumented student, she had faced many obstacles while applying to college. With full conviction, she proclaimed that looking back now, she was glad that she did not let her illegal status prevent her from pursuing her dreams. I yearned to ask her questions, to tell her that I too was an undocumented student, but I was afraid to be vulnerable, to be exposed and laid bare before her and the younger students that looked up to me as a role model. So I remained mute, a half-formed smile adorning my distraught face. Although I did not work up the courage to speak to Sylvia that afternoon, I did work up the courage to apply to college that year. Warm tears embraced my face when I met with the renowned congratulations greeting at the top of my UCLA acceptance letter. My mother also shed tears of joy and relief that day. Our circumstances need not define our futures. There is stigma attached to possessing immigrant status, and it has been a constant struggle to form a narrative that is both objective and personal. I hope that by attaching a name and a story to the immigration issues our country is facing, that audiences will be more open to understanding what immigration policies actually look like when they're imposed upon living, breathing human beings. The Pew Research Center estimates that there are between 200,000 and 225,000 undocumented immigrants enrolled in college. More Than My Chair Morgan's story, as told to Sammy Vores from The Facing Project at Ohio Northern University and performed by Joe Robertson. When I was first learning to walk with crutches, my mom took me to the mall and let me go. 
As I tried to walk, I wobbled down the hall and fell down over and over again. Instead of my mom running to my rescue and picking me up, she looked at me and said, you can do it. Get up on your own. My mom was in a psychology class at the time, so she used this as an opportunity to teach me how to deal with not only adversity, but that I could do anything that I put my mind to. She also used me as her personal guinea pig for this class. This, of course, caused other people at the mall to freak out and come up to my mom calling her a monster and ask her what was she doing to this poor child. But it's okay, though. I know why she was doing it, and I'm glad she did what she did. The doctors don't know exactly what's wrong with me. I have too many anomalies. What I have is congenital, meaning I've had it since birth. It started being born and not breathing. Oh, don't worry. I pulled out my own breathing tube two days later. Not long after, scoliosis started developing, but the doctors said I'd be fine. Ha! Not so much. The scoliosis did not leave much room for my heart and lungs to develop, so by two years old, I had to have surgery. They braced me with a cadaver bone, a synthetic bone, and one of my ribs in between my shoulder blades. That healed up, and I was doing well. I was hitting all my milestones as a baby, you know, walking, crawling, all those things. Then I started falling all the time. It wasn't the normal toddler fall, though. My legs were giving out on me. It took my mom five different doctors and five different hospitals for one of them to just agree to do an MRI. The MRI showed that I developed kyphosis, which is a different kind of curvature of the spine in the same place that was braced for the scoliosis. When they went in to do the kyphosis bracing, the doctors saw that I had fatty tissue pieces growing on my spinal cord and some of the vertebrae were shaped wrong and my spinal cord was split in half at the bottom. So whatever I have, it's kind of like spina bifida, kind of like cerebral palsy, but neither of those. As I've gotten older, my legs have also presented some issues. I have really tight hamstrings, so I can't quite straighten my legs all the way. Before I was 12, I used to walk with my ankles turned out and rotated in, so rods had to be put in place up the bone and across my ankle to correct them. Unfortunately, I broke those and had to have screws put in. I also have a rib missing, but instead of it being my floating rib, it's one of my ribs from the top. In addition to this, my nerves go through one of my rib bones, so at random times, my arms go to sleep and I can't control them. Nobody knows how to fix it, even though it's frustrating. These are the moments I look back on and say, well, that was a defining moment. Having faced such adversity in life so far has definitely impacted how I look at things. My biggest inspiration in life is Dr. Cates, my physical medicine doctor from my toddler years through high school. Dr. Cates, who's also in a chair full-time, was the one who really helped push for my independence. Not my independence from my family, necessarily, but independence when it came to my disability. A big thing in my household is that you can do anything that you want to do. It may take you longer, or you may have to do it differently, but it can be done. And Dr. Cates really helped to enforce that. It was cool to see that even though she was in a chair full-time, she could still do everything.
Because of the influences in my life and the opportunity and experiences I've gained, I feel it's my place to bridge the gap between the disabled community and the able-bodied community. I am very vocal about my disability, what I need, and what needs to be fixed to make things more ADA-centered, like helping the new engineering building on campus to lower their lab benches to be more wheelchair accessible, to making sure elevators are always in service and such. It's nice to be able to see people's views on people with disabilities change after getting to know me, because a lot of unfortunate stereotyping has been done in the media or throughout the community, where anybody with a disability is, poor them, there's nothing they're ever going to amount to, there is nothing they can do. So I like to be out in the world and say, look at me. This is everything I am doing and everything I can do. I'd much rather inform people about what's going on rather than continuing to allow them to be ignorant. I have no problem going over to someone that's staring for longer than they should and asking him if they want to know what is wrong. Once I'm done explaining it to them, they realize that I'm not that different from them. I can credit this sense of confidence and motivation to my mom, and I'm most grateful for it. She taught me that I can do it, and so much more. I have definitely learned some important life lessons so far, and will continue to learn and grow from every experience I have. I will not let my disability determine who I am or what I can do. I will strive for the best education, the best experiences, not letting my disability stop me. Another lesson I've learned is that even if I am struggling, even if I am having a bad day, smile. You never know if you can make somebody else's day. The more I smile, the better it helps me. So I might as well help someone else too. It's amazing how Morgan is impacting her community. And, you know, how many other people do you think that she's influenced in the way that they see the world? Um, I have a friend, Jayma, who's been in a wheelchair since she was a teenager. She injured herself in a diving accident. And since I've gone places with Jayma, I've started to see through her eyes. Uh, we walk into a, a room and, and I'm figuring out how, what's the best path for us to take. I was recently in a bookstore and I wasn't with Jayma, but uh, when I think of books, I think of Jayma too. She's written uh, a book about her journey. And in the bookstore, there was just books everywhere. There was no place for a chair. And in fact, more than half the books were upstairs that weren't able to be, wasn't able to be accessed uh, by, by a wheelchair. Um, so I, I just think about how sometimes when we meet individuals who live um, see see from a different perspective than the rest of us, how they can influence the way that we start to see things. And James has definitely done that for me. And it's obvious that Morgan has done that for so many people on her campus. Yeah. And it's important, I think, going back to the bookstore story you just shared, perhaps the individual who runs the bookstore, maybe they've not had an interaction with someone who has a disability and that's not impacted the way that they live their lives. And so, and I don't, I don't think that you would either, right? If you didn't, hadn't, if you didn't know Jema, 
and others, would you even think about that, right? Walking into a bookstore where it wasn't accessible. Yeah, I mean, I walk into restaurants now and I see all these tables are too close together. Like, how would my friend Jamie get, and, you know, and um, just the way that they influence the way that we see the world, I think, is is we can all learn and, um, you know, build a better world around from what we've learned from them. Yeah. I feel like Josefina's story related to a young man I met several years ago in Indianapolis named Tomas. This was about 2012. I was at an event, and he was one of the student speakers at the event. And had I not later learned Tomas's story, I would have just assumed Tomas was born and raised in Indiana. Uh, you know, he had very much a Hoosier accent. Around 2012, 2013, he had that Southern swoop hairstyle that a lot of boys were wearing. I don't know it's the like, hairstyles. You know, it's like that hairstyle <laughs> where there are long bangs and it kind of hangs over the eye a little bit and you shake your head to like swoop your hair back up. It's called the Southern swoop. But is, the Justin, is it the Justin Bieber? Um, sure. I okay. guess you could say that, know, but, uh, in the hairstyling world it's called a Southern <laughs> swoop. I mean, not that I would know or anything, but, <laughs> but so he had like a Southern swoop hairstyle and just a very Hoosier accent. And, and then he said that he was an undocumented student and that he was studying accounting and he was going to graduate with honors, but he wasn't sure what his future held for him after that because of his documentation status. And that's when it it hit me. I thought, oh my gosh, wow, like I would have never imagined that Tomas was an undocumented student. I felt so helpless in that moment. And that whole idea that this was of no fault of his of his own he was brought here at age 2 by his parents and he grew up as Hoosier as I did right had probably similar experiences growing up in the US in the state of Indiana but yet this one thing may hold him back from accomplishing what he wants to do in the future and it felt so unfair to me yeah i mean it's it's also inspiring that he went to college mm-hmm. despite even wondering if he could even get a, a job, right? You wonder who was his Sylvia's and Josefina's story. Like, you know, she was on campus and she bumped into Sylvia who, you know, she thought, Josefina thought the college was never a reality for her. And then she saw someone who was sharing her story and it inspired her to to know that this is something that she could reach for and attain. Yeah, or Dr. Kate's and Morgan's experience. She, you know, her doctor, who was also wheelchair bound, had this successful career and inspired her uh, to make a difference and know that college was a possibility for her. And, you know, I really enjoyed how Morgan shared in her story that once she was on, on campus, she realized that things weren't accessible and she was able to advocate for that change. And because she saw herself reflected in Dr. Kate's she's now able to make that same reflection happen for other students. Yeah, it's because each of those individuals was was willing to share, um, you know, some of the challenges that they face, some of the realities that they face, that, that they were able to inspire others. So I think each of us walks around with some of those things, right? Some of those great challenges. And when we get to the place that we're ready to share, 
then it can really, really help people. I, I think it's one of the best way, best tools that we have to make a difference in the world for others. The thing that's our like our pain point, mm-hmm. our biggest struggle, sometimes can be the greatest gift to help others. And greatest resource. It's the idea of shining your light out into the world for others to see. And it's all around bravery, being brave enough to say, this is who I am. Because you never know who might be watching or listening. So be Madonna's backup dancers. Be Madonna's backup dancers, or be a Dr. Cates, or be a Sylvia, or be a Tomas, right? Or be a Jema to shine that light out so that others can, can see your story and can listen to what you are able to share. To start a facing project in your community or to find other facing project stories, visit us online at facingproject.com. Or to listen to more episodes of The Facing Project, visit indianapublicradio.org slash thefacingproject. The Facing Project show is produced by Sean Ashcraft from Indiana Public Radio at Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana, and directed by Laura Williamson and Michael Dane, with editorial assistance provided by Amory Orchard. We are your hosts, Kelsey Timmerman and J.R. Jameson. Until next time, we wish you the courage to share your own story and the empathy to listen to others.